Well, I would ask you to open your Bibles to the book of Colossians. What a great setup we've had this morning, singing these wonderful songs of the cross. And today we're in Colossians chapter 3. And just to set the table for what we're doing and where we're at here this morning, we are, you know, been studying the Gospel of Luke for quite some time, and we left off last week right at the, uh, the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem and, and this journey towards the cross. And, uh, and I just wanted to wait till after Advent. Don't want to lead into Advent that way, but, but wait till after. We'll, we'll, we'll discuss the incarnation in a few weeks, and then, and then we'll, in January, Lord willing, pick back up in Luke and, and make our journey to the cross and be able to just unpack the rest of Luke that way. And, and in the meantime... I wanted to spend some time in the book of Colossians, and, and the reason why is, as you know, our, our strategy, our, our ministry focus this year has been to engage, engage in all areas of life distinctively as a Christian, and we've had a focus each month, and I've tried to use the first Sunday of every month to set that focus, and the focus for this month is engaging our relationships, engaging family and friends distinctively as a Christian, and, uh, and as I was focusing and looking in on that, I uh, Colossians is just a, a really important book, not because it teaches you how to be a good friend or how to be a good family member directly, but, but really what the book of Colossians is about is establishing you in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? Because the reality is that all of our relationships in this world are really centered upon our relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, I can't deal with you, and you can't deal with me in a distinctively Christian manner unless we understand what it means to be distinctively Christian. What does it mean to be in Christ? And all of our relationships in this world are tied into this. And so what I want to do over these next few Sundays is is really unpack the book of Colossians, chapter 3, actually, of Colossians, to talk about what does it mean to be in Christ, and therefore, what does that mean, and how does that then impact the way I engage this world? And when you think about the relationships that we have in this world, it's very difficult to engage uh, distinctively Christianly, especially with your family members or close friends. You know, my kids see me when I sin, right? They see me when I have once in a while gotten frustrated in traffic. It maybe happens once every three or four years. And, and uh, you know, they see that. They see who I am. They see my weaknesses. They, they, and, and, and then I see theirs. And those things impact the way we treat each other. And then, you know, if you take that into, let's say, a marriage context, you've been married for, married for a while, you've got a lot of evidence to, 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 to suggest that you married a sinner. Right? I mean, there's enough wrongs that have been done to be able to say, you know, this person isn't in Christ. You know, you've got the evidence. I got it right here. And, and as a result, I can't live with you. You're hurting my Christian life. Right? I mean, you've got that. And, and, and our flesh can get in the way. And so how do we then live in a distinctively Christian manner in this world? Paul, in the book of Colossians, really seeks to unpack this because what he's really trying to do is he's trying to say, listen, if you understand what it means to be in Christ, that will dramatically impact everything that you do in this world. And, as we'll see in chapter 3, it will dramatically impact the way you relate to others. 
And so we need to understand what does it mean to be in Christ? Because the reality is, I would say this, every relationship issue that you have in this world is really a discipleship issue. Every relationship issue we have really comes down to, do you understand what it means to be in Christ? And if you don't understand the gospel and the fullness of it, then you're never going to understand how we relate to each other. And so what we have to do when we're dealing with relationships is take a step back and say, okay, I need to take stock. What does it mean to be in Christ? What does that really, really ultimately mean? And this is what chapter 3 is about. In fact, here's kind of the outline of what I would say is chapter 3 and leaking into a little bit of chapter 4. This is basically what he says. Paul says there's three things that happen when you're in Christ. The first thing you've got to do is you've got to think like a live man. And we're going to see that this week. You've got to think like someone who's alive. You've got to set your mind on your heavenly condition. You've got to think like a live man. And then we're going to see this, Lord willing, next week. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be in Christ? It means you've got to think like a dead man. Okay, now you've got to understand there are certain things you're alive to, but there are certain things you're dead to. And so we're going to think about and, and, and unpack that and considering yourself as dead to sin. And then we're going to see where he goes there. As a result of being alive to certain things and dead to other things, we then get the awesome opportunity and privilege to act like Christ, to actually put on display the life and the love that he's given to us. And so that's what we're going to see. We're just going to walk ourselves through Colossians and, and unpack these truths. And today we're just looking at these just verses 1 through 4 of Colossians 3. And we're going to see his, his challenge to us to think like a live man. And our outline, not very creative this week. You can see it there in your bulletin. We're just going to see simple things, the reality of the gospel. And by the way, I didn't really consciously try to alliterate this. This is just really how it came up. The reality of the gospel, the result of the gospel, and the rationale. It's just that simple. There's a reality of what it means to be in Christ. There's a result that comes from that. And there's a reason why this is true. And I want to show this to you. And what I want you to get as we work through this today is to understand this simple reality. What it means to be grounded in Jesus. Maybe you've heard people talk about you've got to get grounded in your faith or grounded in Jesus. Or some people use the concept you've got to be established in Christ. And you hear those concepts and you say, I have no clue what that means. Well, what I want to show you today is what it means to be grounded or established in Jesus, because that is the centerpiece upon which every single relationship we have in the world is to flow in and out of. I want to show you that so that you could understand how to live in Christ and then through Christ. And I know these are really big concepts. Hopefully they'll get clearer as we go through. But let's look at it first. Let's look first just at the reality of the gospel. If you would just look at Colossians 3, verse 1, even just the first part of verse 1 with me. He says, If then you have been raised with Christ. Now we have to stop there because there's a lot in that statement. And of course this statement is in the flow of an entire book. So let me just set the table for this whole flow. Paul is writing the book of Colossians, writing this letter to the Colossians, to uh, encourage them to be completely Christ-centered. 
There are lots of distractions to Christ. There's lots of vain philosophies. There's lots of people that want to manipulate the teaching of Christ get in a lot of different directions and what he's saying is now I want you to stay focused on Christ because here's what happened Christ came he died he bore your sin he conquered Satan he was raised from the dead and by your faith you're connected to all that work you're connected to his death you're connected to his conquering you're connected to his resurrection you're connected to all of this and if you start messing with that you're going to walk away from the very grounding that should help you live in this world. So don't run to the world when the problems of the world comes to you. Run to Christ, is what he's saying. And at the end of chapter 2, this is kind of the point he makes. If you look at the end of chapter 2, he basically is saying, if you look there at 220, he says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why is if you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Referring to all things that perish. He's saying, listen, you've died to this stuff. Why would you just turn to religion to save you? Why would you do that? Why would you suddenly think that, that, that now this is based on what you're doing and who you are? And why would you hold on to this false teaching or be led astray or, or to ignore Christ when the crisis of your life comes? When all the world is crashing down upon you, why would you run away from Jesus and embrace this world? Why would you do that? And then he gets to chapter 3. If, and you could put the word since in there. I know the literal translation would be, if then you have been raised with Christ. And for all you linguistic majors, this is called a verse class conditional clause, which assuming the reality of the statement, which means it really should be translated as since. Since you have been raised up with Christ. Those are for the only two or three language geeks out there. Okay, that's what he's saying. It's, it's really not if, like, maybe you haven't been. It's assuming the reality. You have been raised with Christ. He's saying, stop and let that blow your head apart. Christ died, conquered Satan. The Spirit of God raised him from the dead. And guess what? You are connected to that. That's huge, isn't it? Like, that's just monumentally huge. That should radically transform the way you think about the world. How should that radically transform it? The book of Colossians gives us five ways it should radically transform your life. He tells us. Here's the first one. First, he says in Colossians 1.20, you have peace with God. You have peace with God. He is not angry with you. You are accepted in his presence. There is no more battle. You don't have to earn his works. You we sung that song. It's not by works. It's not by anything that I've done. It's you, God. You are mercy. Yet you have peace with God. He says in Colossians 1.22, Paul says, you're going to be presented before God as holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. Think about that. You can't envision your life without sin, right? You cannot envision any component of your life without some struggle, without some issue. And it really it doesn't take long to, to think of one sinful thing you did today, right? Could you imagine eternity with no sin? And, and, and he's saying, because Christ died and conquered Satan, was raised from the dead, you're going to be presented before God. And when you stand before God, you're not going to be standing before God with all the dumb things you did this morning. He's saying, you're going to stand there holy and blameless. Christ was raised from the dead for you. 
He says this in 2.10, you lack nothing in Christ. You have all that you need to engage this world in Jesus. He says that in 2.10. He says in 2.11 through 13, you've been completely forgiven, not partially. You're not just forgiven up to today, and we'll see what tomorrow holds. You're forgiven completely, he says. In 2.15, Satan's power's been completely broken. He has no more claim to your life. You owe nothing to him. The debt has been paid. So he's saying, you have been raised with Christ. This is the reality of your life now. You're new. You're alive. You're victorious. You're righteous. You're forgiven. You're free. That's who you are. So he says, since you've been raised, and I think that is all packed into this statement. That's what chapter, this, this, this particular statement is about. Everything that he has said in the first two chapters, he's saying, now, do you understand? This is what Christ did. And you, all that he accomplished has been accomplished in you. Now you say this to me, Steve, I don't see that in my life. Like, this is great, and you get all pumped up, up on that stage, and you start getting all dramatic, and, you know, and we all can sense your passion. But realistically, I will go home today, and my kids will frustrate me, and I'll trip on something and stub my toe and kick it across the room and and grunt. And I'm going to go outside, and my car won't start, and I'm going to launch a screwdriver across the parking lot because I can't get that silly little bolt off the car. And if I could just get that one bolt off, I could change the thing, but I can't do that. And see, that's my life. That's my existence. My existence is not this great glorious picture that you just painted. Right? You're smiling and you're afraid to say amen to that because you think it would be sinful to say amen to that. So I'll say it for you. Amen. Right? right? Okay. So if that's the reality, let's look at the result of the reality, our second point. This is where you have to see how this all flows together. Okay, so he says in verse 1, if then you've been raised with Christ, notice what he says in the second part of verse 1, leading into verse 2. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. Now, in order to understand this, I am going to just really unpack this because you've got to catch this. If you catch it, it's incredible. First thing I want you to catch here is that that, that's, that, that word seek it says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek. Some of you have a translation that says, keep seeking the things above. The reason why that's there is because it should be there. Keep seeking is the best way to say that. It means seeking has to be a way of life. If you want to put a contemporary term on it, obsess on this would be a contemporary way. Obsess on the things above. Now, what does this mean to obsess on this, to to do this? I want you just to stop and think about it. Every one of us have some version of OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. Okay, let's just surface a few of them here. It's only between us and the 47 million people listening on the internet, so it's very private. Okay, let's think about this. 
Some of us obsess on work, right? Some of you, when you go on vacation, you can't even relax on vacation because all you think about is your work, right? Some of you do that. Some of you are thinking about advancement. You're thinking about your future. You're wondering about it, right? Now, I'm not here to like, we're, the point of uh, surfacing all these little OCDs in our life is not to trash you for it. It's just to make an illustration. Some of you do that. Some of you have a little OCD about your relationships. Maybe no one cares about you the way that you feel they should, and you obsess on that. Some of you obsess on conversations. Somebody says something, you start thinking about it and really overthinking about it. And right? Think about it. All of us have something in our... Some of us do all of that and more. That little thing you go through, if you're thinking about your work or relationships or conversations and how it like owns your brain, that's what the word seek means there. So what he's saying is, take your mind and your emotions, because you see OCD kind of stuff is a connection between your mind and your emotions. You're thinking about it and you're feeling about it and the two go together and, and it just gets going and going and going. So now here's what I want you to do. Paul is saying, take that element that you have. Because you never thought about it, but this is, you know, your little OCD thing is a gift. Because if you convert it to the heavenly things, it'll change your world. So he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to seek the things above. Now you're going, okay, I don't know what that means. What does above mean? Because that still seems a bit nebulous. Well, if we were preaching through the whole book of Colossians, we would have had above defined for us. So let me just give you the simple definition of above. In Colossians 2, verses 1 through 3, a very important uh, set of verses there in Colossians, Paul is expressing his struggle for these people. And he says, I want your hearts encouraged, and I, I want you guys knit together so that you would reach all the riches, he says, of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. And then he says, in him, in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So, how Paul defines above is that in Jesus Christ is all the wisdom and power and strength that you need to face everything God has planned for you until you go home. God has a plan for you to the end of the age. And in that plan are going to be good times and bad times. And in Christ are hidden all of the treasures and wisdom and knowledge, he says. It's all there in Christ, and if you pursue that, you gain all the wisdom you need to engage this world. So, so what does that look like? How do you really do that? What does that mean? Let me give you a personal example of this. Just a personal example in, in my life. Because I, th I think if we can get it down to kind of time and space, it will help you. So what I'll do is I will put out on the table... Uh, a struggle I have, a sin. And I'm going to put this out in such a way so that you can see that sin. I'm not putting it out there to overglorify the sin or to make you go, oh, so don't do that. 
No presents, no letters. This is not like Steve's having a hard time. This isn't coming out of depression. Just an illustration. It's all it is. Just, okay, got it? There's all the qualifiers. Jeff, did that qualify as qualifiers there? Small print? Okay. See Jeff for the rest of the print. Small print on the qualifiers. He's got them. <laughs> so here's his. As a pastor, as a vocational pastor, a church becomes a very personal thing to a pastor. It becomes a very personal thing. So when things go on in the church, you can take it personally. No situations going on in my brain. This is no passive-aggressive deal here. Okay? So let's just make up a scenario. Let's say somebody comes into the church, and I stand up at the pulpit, and just some really dumb thing flies out of my mouth, because you know sometimes those weird things come out, and the person gets hurt. And then they come up and they say, boy, you know, when you said that, that really hurt me. And I go, oh, my word, that was really dumb. I can't believe I said that. I'm sorry. Now, when I go home, that stuff starts to own my brain. And I start thinking, oh, this is horrible. No one's going to show up next week. I mean, I probably hurt everybody. This is bad. This is horrible. I got to resign. Seriously, like, this stuff starts going through my brain. And Monday morning, I get up like, this, it's all lost. It's over. I'm killing the church. Seriously, that really can go through my brain. I can hit, right, Heather? I can hit down. Now, that's wrong. So you know what I have to do? I've got to bring that thought captive to Christ. Because in Christ is all the wisdom that I need to handle the sin that hurts somebody. So how do I bring that to Christ? I, I, I have to bring that to Christ and say, wait a minute. Christ is building this church, not me. Get over yourself. You really think you could undo Christ's church? Dummy, right? It's his church. He's building it. Second thing, God uses everything because of the cross to build people up. Third, make sure you've apologized, Steve. You've heard him. Go make it right if you've heard him. But fourthly, I've never left you, Steve. And I've never left this church. Christ is in control. You see, in Christ is all the wisdom that I need to get through that valley. To get through that valley. And so what Paul is saying, Steve, start obsessing not on the crisis, not on what you did, not in your reputation, not in how you're viewed, not in whether or not people are going to show up, not in whether or not it's going to take a hit in the tithe or whatever. Whatever silly temptations will come through your brain where you're just bombarded with thought after thought after thought after thought, right? You've, you've been there, right? It's just coming at you and it just won't stop. And you stop and say, wait a minute, I've been raised with Christ. Let's let this brain be anchored in him. So I'm going to keep seeking. What do I know about Christ? He's building his church. What do I know about Christ? He will never leave me or forsake me. What do I know about Christ? He's at work in people's lives. What do I know about work? It's all about him. This is what I know about Christ. And this is how I'm going to keep seeking. Now, you go through that journey, 
That is a long journey. It's not like you do that in five minutes. You go, boom, there it is, man. It's like Advil. Take it, and half hour later, you can start mowing your lawn again. No, keep seeking. Every day, obsess. It's Christ. He's got it. So you have a relationship problem. Come in. You say, Christ, what is your mind here? Humility. Am I acting with humility towards this person? What is your mind here? Serve your enemies. Am I serving my enemy? What is your mind here? Your glory is what matters. Unity is what matters. This is the stuff that should control my brain. Why? I've been raised with Christ. Why would I hold on to the things of the world? See, this is what he's getting at. This is what it means to be grounded in Christ. Now notice how he even describes this even further. Again, he says, seek the things that are above. Notice, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Why say that? He's saying, now you're going to seek God, but, but the things that are above, and, and who's there? Jesus. Where is he seated at the right hand? What does that mean? It's the position of authority. You're seeking the one who rules the world. You're seeking the one who has the power over everything. You're seeking the one who's at the right hand of of God. That is where your Messiah is. And so when I'm setting my mind in Jesus, I'm not setting my mind in like a fluffy bunny Jesus, right? Fluffy bunny Jesus is, the, is just like the cool Jesus that is just all friendly and hangs out with you and goes, hey bud, you know, that's not fluffy bunny Jesus. We're talking about King Jesus, who really is ruling the world, who really did die, who really is at work, who really did conquer Satan in your life. He's the real deal. Let that obsess in your brain. Why? If you don't let that obsess in your brain, you know what will obsess in your brain? Yourself. And your sense of justice and what you think is right and what you think should happen and how unfair this has been to me. And Right? I mean... If it's not Christ, it's me. And I guarantee you one thing. If you were the center of the world, it would really stink. Right? That's a good spot for an amen. You don't want to be the center of the world. Seriously. You you don't want it. It's a horrible place to be. It's all about Christ. And so, keep seeking the things above Notice what he says in verse 2. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things of the earth. This has been the whole contrast of this whole thing. You're walking through life. You always have this moment. You're facing this fork in the road the moment you get up. What will ground my thinking? The glory and the power and the majesty of Jesus or what I think is right and fair and just? What's going to rule this moment? Will it be Christ and his kingdom and his rule and his love and his peace and his power and his forgiveness? Or will it be me and my sense of justice and what I demand and what I think is right and how everyone did me wrong? Where's your brain? What will you obsess on? The less than translation is, don't obsess on the world and yourself. Obsess on the glory and majesty of Jesus. That's how I would have translated verse 2. Let that own you. And Paul says in Romans 12 too, this is how you're transformed. This is how real transformation happens through what you obsess on. Now I like to say it this way. I'm going to give you kind of three concepts here. 
you face a situation in life, any situation, you're all facing one, you all have a story right now, you all have a narrative in your life, there's something going on. And in the course of this, there are three things that you want in life, in every situation, right? I believe this is fundamentally true of every human being. We want peace, we want perspective, and I had to alliterate this one, we want promise, okay? Or hope, but I went with the P word, promise. We want peace, perspective, and promise. We want peace, we want the situation resolved. We want perspective, we want it resolved in a way that we think is fair, and we want some kind of promise that all will be good from this point forward. And if you draw, draw, you know, kind of take every conflict you have in this world or every issue you have in this world, it always comes down to this thing. I want you to stop doing what you're doing. I want you to see it from my point of view. And I want some kind of guarantee this will never happen again. Right? Y'all just staring at me. Right? Are we engaged here? You're tracking with this, right? You're seeing it. Here's the reality. Have you ever fought your way to that end? Do you ever come out of a nine-hour argument with somebody and say, it worked. <laughs> Peace and perspective and promise came. Shouting is the greatest invention ever. Right? It's never come. Where does it come from? It comes from the one who conquered sin, conquered the devil, was raised from the dead, and infused life into this world. And in Christ, we have peace. And in Christ, we have perspective. And in Christ, we have promise. Am I right? In, Crete, in Christ, we have peace. We have peace with God. Everything's settled, settled there. Which means that even if we got some bumpy roads ahead of us, it's okay. We're good with God. We can handle this. In Christ, I have perspective. Why? Because I can begin to see that the gospel is, is more than just some abstract event. It's a worldview. It is the fact that Christ gave up his life for enemies that they might be restored to God. And I get the privilege, the struggle and the privilege of taking that perspective to say, how can I serve you? How can I love you? And I have promise that God will never leave me, that he's going to work every single thing out to carry out his eternal ends, and that I'm going to be with him in eternity forever. And so if I keep seeking the things above, and I say, listen, first and foremost, I want Christ's peace, I want Christ's perspective, I want Christ's promise, and I'm going to ground myself there first. Out of that, I engage the world. And we engage our problems in our lives and our struggles. Does that make sense? This is what he's getting at. This is the heart of it. And so when, when we look at our life, and we look at, at, at the reality, we have to recognize that in Christ is all the wisdom that you need to walk in the plan that he prepared for you before you were born. Whatever this week has to offer, he possesses all the resources you need for these next seven days. In him. So obsess on It's a powerful statement because the greatest spiritual warfare that goes on in our life is our mind and what we will choose to obsess on, what we will choose to own 
our emotions, and our heart. So, the reality of the gospel is that you've been raised with Christ. The result of that is now I obsess on Christ. And here's the reason why this is the case. Here's the reason why. Let's get the rationale. Very simple, verses 3 and 4. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. There are two reasons why he says you should do this. Remember, when you're studying the Bible and you see the word for, remember for generally means a rationale is on the way. He's explaining to you why this should be the case. So he's given you the, the, the point. You've been raised with Christ. You're going to obsess on Christ. And then if you wanted to kind of do like a really loose translation, you'd say in verse 3, now here's the reason why you should do this. The Christ himself, who is your life, notice how he says that there. When Christ, who is your life, right? There's your life. You didn't get it because you earned it. It's not about you. It's not about your works. You trust it and you got his life. This very Christ, who's your life, he's everything you need, so don't run from him when the problems come, has done two things. Notice what he says. He says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, actually, I'm going to jump ahead of myself. Look at verse 3 first. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ. Here's the first point. The first reality is that you are hidden in Christ. You were connected to the cross by your faith, and when you got connected, you were broken free from obsessing on the world through your eyes. That's not you anymore. You're dead to that. You're dead to human wisdom. You're dead to human justice. You're you're dead to Dr. Phil. You're dead to Oprah. You're dead to these people. We don't need their advice. We're dead to that. We're alive in Christ. That's where we're alive. And you know what he's done? He says this. He says, you're hidden with Christ. You say, what does that mean to be hidden with Christ? Let's just think about something. Um, Do not do this after church. But if we were standing at the door, and every parent that's walking out with a a one-and-a-half-year-old, and that one-and-a-half-year-old's holding a, a little bunny or their stuffed animal or their blanket or whatever, and we just reached out for it to take it, what would they do? Right? They'd pull it in. Right? Take, take an older kid walking out with a piece of candy. Go reach for that candy. Am I right? right? They, they hold it in. That's the image here. He says, Christ is your life. He's given you life. And you know what he's done? He's taken you and he said, you're mine. You belong to me. I'm holding you. Okay, you're, you're wrapped in my arms. Okay, now that you're wrapped in my arms, don't try to peer out of my arms and say, well, is there some other thought or philosophy or, or, or person I should be listening to right now? Should I take my problem, put it out there on Facebook, and just get everybody's comments on it? And Paul's saying, no, you don't understand. You've been pulled into Jesus, man. He's the only one who died and rose from the dead and has given you life. 
So why, and this is the whole argument of Colossians, would you ever look outside of him? Why, when the biggest trials of your life, would you bury yourself in your basement and run away from everybody who knows Jesus? Why would you not pray and say, Jesus, just give me your perspective, give me your peace, give me your promise here? Why would you run from this? You're hidden with him. He's pulled you in. That's the imagery. It's, 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 it's the imagery of a child pulling a toy in. It's the imagery of a parent that is sensing a risky situation. I remember one time we were at a mall. Andrew was two years old. We're walking down there. We're up in the upper level of this mall, and Andrew's just barreling ahead, man. He's just like, and he sees an escalator. He's never seen one before. Moving steps, totally cool. You could tell. And when he sees it, he starts to move faster. And I'm like, why is he going so fast? Because he got ahead of me. And I see the escalator. It's like, bingo, right? I might not be the brightest parent, but I know he's heading towards the escalator. And that he has no clue what moving steps are. And that he's going to just step on that escalator and just go tumbling down. I, like, get around my kids, and just before he gets on that escalator, I grab his shirt and I yank him back. I say, no, 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 buddy. Moving steps, bad, 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 bad. i got to teach you how to navigate moving steps, right? Pull him back. That's the image. You've been hidden with Christ. He's pulled you in. It's a great place to be. Why look elsewhere? Why look elsewhere? That's a, this is a rationale. He's trying to get you to see why you could, should be obsessing on Jesus. You've been hidden with Christ in God. So you've got God the Father, glorious God the Father, God the Son. God the Father and God the Son are one. And he's saying, you were heading towards an escalator, and Jesus yanked you back, pulled you into himself, and now you're with the Father and the Son. Why not obsess on that? That's what he's saying. Obsess on that. Second reason why. Second reason why is that you're going to heaven. First reason is you're hidden in Christ. Second reason you're going to heaven, and this is the passage I kind of jumped ahead on there. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you'll appear with him in glory. Now you've got to let that moment sink in. Just stop and think about this. Jesus comes to earth. This is what Paul says in Philippians 2. Jesus comes to earth, takes on human flesh. So people don't see him as God. He's in heaven. He's glorious God. He's existing in the form of God. Everything's great. He's up there, man, like the angels are bowing down, worship him. He's sitting on the throne. It's, it's glory just flowing out of him everywhere. The Father says, I have a plan to redeem humanity, so I need you to take on flesh. So the glorious God of the universe is willing to be seen as a human being, incredibly humble. That alone is humility enough. Then what happens? He's willing to be seen as a sinner. He's willing to take on sin that he didn't commit. He's willing to go to the cross. He's willing to be called the devil even though he's God. And he's willing to do all that to pull us out of that dangerous escalator and to pull us into him. Okay? And then... God said, Paul says that God you know, brings him up to heaven, and then there's going to be a day 
when every created being, every angel, every demon, every human being through the history of the world will be standing there and Jesus will come out and in essence, he's going to say, I'm going to show you the glory that was hidden. I'm going to reveal it. And Paul says the whole world will drop to their knees. It'll be a powerful moment, won't it? In the fullness of the glory of God is going to shine. And Paul's saying, not only are you going to be there, you got a very interesting part to play. You will be revealed as well. Because you see, Christ gave you his life. And so all the stuff that he's working on in your life right now, the heartaches, the problems, the trials you're going through, God is fashioning within you righteousness. He's cleansing you. He's causing you to repent of your sins. He's causing you to see who you are. He's causing you to trial, struggle. He's causing you to go through all this stuff. And you're saying, is it ever going to end? And the answer is yes. And on that day when Christ is revealed, all of a sudden Christ is going to reveal it and his glory is going to be seen and we're going to drop to the ground as well. We're going to fall to faces. And then this is not literally what will happen. Just kind of go figuratively with me here because I can't even get my mind around it. It's going to be like, okay, all you people that are in me, stand up. This is why I did it all. And you're going to be perfect and glorified. It's a great day, isn't it? That's a really good spot for an amen. You guys are kind of lame here this morning. That's an amen spot, isn't it? It's a great thing to think about. All the junk you're going through is going to translate to a day when all the glory is going to be seen. And Christ is going to say, this is why I did it. Here's my bride. And you're going to be perfect. And Paul is saying, do you see why you shouldn't run to the world to think like the world? When you face a problem, obsess on Jesus. You're in him, and all the work he's working on is going to be revealed in you, and it's going to be incredible. Obsess on him. It's great. This is great news. So, here's the point. Let's wrap it up. We talk about being connected to Jesus by faith. This is not just so that you can get out of hell. We know that. We, we know that. It's not a get out of hell free card type thing. You've heard sayings like that. But let's build that statement one step further. It's more than this. It is being connected and hidden in the very life of Jesus. And God is taking you through what he's taking you through to per perfect you so that when the day comes and he's revealed, his church is going to be revealed. And, and Ephesians says he's going to present to himself a perfect spotless church. So let's obsess on that. Let's obsess on that. Because this is our new reality. This is who we are. So I want to just give you a few points here. And as I give you these points, I'm not going to give you these points as like, here are five steps to anything. It's not that kind of a thing. I do have five points, and I'm just going to lay them out for you. But, but as I give you these points, my intention, like I said, is not to make you think that your salvation is any less than faith in Jesus. 
We get all of this because we trust in Christ. Christ is doing all of it out of his mercy and his grace, and we never want to forget it. And Paul is saying, now that you're in this new reality, you face a battle. You face a battle. And the battle is the flesh that says, turn away from Jesus. It doesn't work. It won't do it. You tried Jesus, and it failed. You're never going to find peace and perspective and promise in Jesus. Just get out of that mess and go live, and live for yourself and fight for yourself. Right? That's the battle you're going to face. You're going to face a battle. It's all about you. So how do we deal with that battle? So let me just kind of give you some principles to just meditate on. The first one is this. Remember that you're a new person with a new life. You've got to remember that. If I face a, a moment this week where I get down and something happens and I'm like, oh, it's all going to fall apart, I guess I say, wait a minute. Man, Christ died and rose from the dead and he gave me his life. Really? You think it's bad? You think it's all hinging on you? Steve, you're a new person. The second principle. You've been given the life of Jesus. Right? He didn't just say you're going to heaven. He said, I'm going to share with you my life. The same spirit that raised me from the dead, I'm going to just pour into your life to give you everything you need to walk the path I've designed for you. Third thing, third principle. I've got to seek the mind of Jesus, especially when I interact with this world. I have to seek the mind of Jesus. I have to say, Jesus, how does the gospel address this thought? I have to do that. Fourth principle. I've got to have the person of Jesus define the moments of my life. I've got to have the person of Jesus define the moments of my life. What does that mean? I have to remember, it's, it's not as big. My problems aren't as big as I think they are. The doom is not as certain as I think it is. God is in control. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. His purposes will be carried out. No one can stop him. The gates of hell cannot stop his advancement, and he conquered sin and death. I'm going to let that define my reality for me, nothing else. I've got to just pray, God, let that. I want who Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father to be the one to help me interpret my moment. And then lastly, I don't want to follow the emotions of the flesh. We have fleshly emotions. You will obsess on your problems today, tomorrow, the next day. You will wake up in the middle of the night, some of you, with anxiety issues. You will get short of breath. You will have issues. And you have to remember, those emotions do not run the world. Jesus does. He's the king. He's in control. What I want to do is say, listen, man, I, I want the gospel to define this moment, the power that raised Christ from the dead to be present here. I'm going to start obsessing on that. And so what I would encourage you to do is to have this little warning sign in your head as you are obsessing on the things of the world to say, this. Ask yourself this one question. Does this obsession that's going through in my head right now dethrone Jesus or enthrone Jesus? Now, we're not enthroning or dethroning him, but, but, but the point of that question is this. 
when that emotion comes up, does that emotion say, wow, it's all lost, it's over, there's no good ending? And, and by default, am I saying Jesus is no longer the king? If it is, then you're following the emotions. If my thought is saying, no, I'm trusting in Jesus, his plan, his power, his purpose, his peace, his perspective, and, and, and it's bringing me to the throne of Jesus, then it's a right obsession. And I will tell you this, as I close here, until we get to be grounded in Jesus, we're going to struggle with all our relationships in the world. And the problem isn't the person, even if they are a jerk. The real problem is I'm not grounded in Jesus and I don't have the peace, the perspective, or the promise to engage them. And so I want to be grounded there first. Let me pray for all of us as we seek this in our lives. Would you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you for... Jesus, who is the Lord of everything, I thank you, God, that we don't earn our way. You, by your great faith, by your great work and giving us the gift of this great faith that we have, we can trust in you and get life and peace and perspective and purpose. And at the end of the day, God, may we be grounded. May we obsess on you. Those dealing with relational struggles with people, Lord, may they see the enemy is not flesh and blood, but it is evil. It's wickedness. It's sin in this world. And so the perspective isn't to get people to do it our way. The perspective is to let the gospel reign so that they could experience the victory of the cross. So God, give us a gospel mindset, relationships. For those worried about their future, may they remember that Jesus Christ has given us everything. He will not leave us. He will not forsake us. Do not be worried about what you will eat and drink, but seek the kingdom of God. Seek his righteousness. Let that be our obsession. Those trying to control people, manipulate people that are obsessing, people aren't doing what you want them to do. Lord, may we repent of that and recognize you are the God. You are the king. Jesus, you rule. You're working in people's lives. God, may we bring every thought, all our insecurities, all our worries, our future, our life. Let us find the peace and the perspective and the promise of Jesus in all situations. In Christ's great name I pray. Amen.